listen up. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the podcast participants and not to any participant's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. You know, for fun. So lighten up and enjoy. Stomping Jen. What's your name, Sawtooth Frank? Yeah, but I've been going by my regular name now. That's all right. I'll, you're always going to be Sawtooth to me. Oh. Should I rip off my fake tooth cap and you can see my actual Sawtooth? No, please don't. All right. Well, let's get down to it. We have a really interesting guest on the show uh, this week. It's Craig Della Pena who is a Western Massachusetts-based community leader, realtor, and um, believe it or not, a bed and breakfast owner, um, whose work um, is focused on developing rail trails. Yes. Do you know what those are? I do know what a rail trail is. Okay, we're going to ask Craig um, what those are. I want him to tell us, but um, listeners of this podcast will know I was on a rail trail not too long ago. I walked. (laughs) I didn't ride a bike or any other form of locomotion. Yes. Right? Uh-huh. Um, I did walk, but I, it was so enjoyable, and I came back raving about it. I Remember? Love, I love walking on the rail trails. Yeah. So And biking on the rail yeah, trails. Yeah, we'll talk more about that. But Yes. Um, and I also want to mention, before we jump into it, um, Craig is a, a recognized national expert in this topic, okay, in rail trail development. He's been written about um, in the Boston Globe. The Wall Street Journal, Stomping Jen. Mm-hmm. We've all heard of that. Um, he's even appeared in the United Airlines um, in-flight magazine, Hemisphere. Cool. We've all flipped through that if we've flown. It's true. I know I have. Um, <laughs> so, and um, he's also written like a bunch of books, done, I think, um, over like a thousand appearances or lectures. So, I mean, he is a real um, expert in this. So, we're, gonna, we're going to plumb his knowledge. Well, I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Um, so let's get going, okay? Right. Yeah. All right, let's do it. The Soft Serve Podcast. Creamy, delicious ideas without the creepy truck. Stamping Jen. I'm singing again. I thought we stopped that. Well, I'm really excited. I sing when I'm excited, I think. Um, and I'm Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to Craig Della Pena. Um, so let's say hi to Craig. Hi, Craig. Hi, guys. Hi. Nice Sunday evening. Yeah. yeah uh, thank you. Um, thank you for being here and taking uh, time out of your day to talk to us about this, Craig. I was telling you um, before we started recording. I was reading your bio, and you have done so much work in this area of um, rail trail development that um, you know it's almost overwhelming um, to look at it all. I mean, so. Um, thank you for thank you again for sharing your time with us and and coming on to share your expertise with us. Um, I'm I'm really honored to have you here. Well, thank you. 
Yeah. And so I want to kind of get going. I, I think I talked a little bit about this with Jen in the intro. Just tell us a little bit about um, what a rail trail is. Like, we've all heard the term, I think, but some of us may not really know what that means. So if you could talk to us a bit about that. Sure. Uh, a rail trail is a name that was invented in the 1980s. Um, Rails to Trails Conservancy got founded. It was kind of a cutesy name, easy to remember. But what it essentially is, it means an unused former railroad converted to a linear park. Could be a bike path, could be a snowmobile path, could be a walking trail. But since it's built on a railroad grade, it's going to be essentially uh, flat. Uh, Only steam railroads could only climb like one and a half, two percent reliably. And it's going to be pretty straight because they couldn't turn sharp corners. So it's going to be very easy to bike on. And that's why they're they're so popular today. Yeah, thank you. Um, I saw that term linear park used in some of your materials. Can you just expand upon that a little bit? What is this idea of a linear park? Well, a linear park, most people know of ball fields and Know, traditional parks or basically rectangular, let's say. Mm-hmm. And and they're uh, they're used just a smidgen during the day and heavily on weekends and organized sports. But the linear park like this that actually connect places gets used more often, more reliably, and it's uh in, in, a, in essence easier to maintain. And it's it's a more it's a park of the 21st century. Rectangular parks or the parks of the 20th century. Uh, this is this month is um, is Olmsted's 200th birthday, mm-hmm. and and so he was the, the the founder of many big iconic rectangular parks, like all the parks in Holyoke, uh, Central Park in New York, and in the Boston area, he did a series of they called them the Emerald Necklace. There were small parks connected by a greenway. And so greenway, rails trail, rail to trails, bike path, bikeway, snowmobile path, they're all cousins of each other, Mm. but they are the park of the future. And so the idea kind of is to have this contiguous, like recreational area that people could potentially uh, travel along, you know, it doesn't Mm -hmm. end. It's a, well, I mean, I guess it does end at some point, (laughs) but it's... um, It, it is a it is a recreational area that maybe feels endless is a better way right. to say this yeah and I and I would add in that all of these places um, that have all these dead steam railroad corridors uh, become these linear parks if we draw well I'm sitting in Florence you're sitting in Belchertown if you draw a 150 mile radius around us, you will take in the densest network of dead steam railroad corridor in North America. And here in Southern New England, Eastern New York, and going into Vermont and New Hampshire, this is this, there was no extraction industries here, like coal mines or huge lumbering operations. Those are seen in the, like the, like the Appalachians and coal mines and here, these dead steam railroad corridors, which were overbuilt by a factor of three, um, they led to where the wealth was created here in southern New England, which meant the huge antediluvian mill complexes. Yeah. And you've heard of the, the concept of gateway cities. Mm-hmm. 
gateway cities where all the immigrants came in and they got, you know, good paying jobs at the mills. And and that was the their life in, into the United States. And so these cities have now branded together under the heading gateway cities and the state legislature, that is a caucus with traction now. These are places that had been disinvested in for two generations. They are now coming back to life. One of the reasons is because all these dead railroads that are being spawned and rebirthed as rail trails are being built into those gateway cities. Mm-hmm. And those gateway cities, the Renaissance is taking place is because the dead railroads are being repurposed as linear parks. That's so interesting. Over- this is, the big picture stuff is here is, is simply hard to imagine. Hard yeah. to imagine. And I've been in the background for this stuff for about 27 years now. I, I used to market rail freight, and I know how to make a railroad work. And if it's not sound to be a railroad, it has to be a trail. It can't be a pretend railroad where you right. have huge government subsidies supporting it. Because all it does is, all that does is perpetuate blight. And in the Eastern Mass, believe it or not, the second largest landowner in the state the entire state is the MBTA. Uh-huh. And what do they own? They own a large portion of what they own is dead railroads. They haven't seen trains in 45, 50 years that have the forest growing up between the rails. Now, in the last 10 years, they've, they've sort of recognized the fact that those are places that, uh, that the train is not coming back as long as you can look into the future, you will not see trains there. So they've green lighted the idea of these becoming rail trails. And, uh, and it's, there's over 40 projects underway just in Metro Boston right now. How did, so, are, how did so many of these trail, uh, these rails um, die or become dead railroads? Uh, uh, there seems to be so many miles of them. Like what happened? Right. Well, the changing logistics pattern had a lot to do with it. When I worked, when I worked for the railroad industry, you know, way back when, when I was much younger, and I can, you know, you can't connect the dots to things by looking forward. You can connect the dots by looking back. And in, in this context, I can look back and see that all the traffic I was taking away from the Boston and Maine Railroad, who used to serve these places directly by bringing commodities of various kinds to the localities in Eastern Mass, the little branch lines, and they get their traffic service once a week or twice a week. And well, I had set up transloading facilities in Western Mass here in Westfield, Holyoke, Chicopee, uh, where we were, uh, we were taking traffic away from Eastern Mass end users. We would bring it into our facilities. We could bring it to them, um, undamaged, whatever damage couldn't see, we would make sure it arrived without incident when they needed it at a better price with reliable service. The service was unreliable in Eastern Mass and things were coming in the way they didn't want to see them. For example, there was a cannery in Eastern Mass that we, we, it was a specialized move. There were 25,000 pound coils of aluminum. We had to have specialized equipment to get them out of boxcars. The plant ran 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Wow. They only had three hours of inventory on hand. 
Oh I God. had to have re- redundant layers of transportation coming into my facility that we could never fail. Wow. Couldn't be dented, couldn't be wet, had to be prim and proper, perfect and on time. And so we could accomplish that. But in the Boston area, they couldn't. The track, the freight railroad tracks were so decrepit that they were not reliable. The crews were not reliable. They're all demoralized because of uh, union busting tactics by the railroad back in the 80s. Right. And there, there was there was horrific stuff. And so they, they, if you were if you were a railroad user and you did not have a huge capital cost in citing where you were, you left the railroad. There were transloads set up 50 to 70 miles out that could do the job much quicker, easier, okay. safer. Did they just so switch it. to trucks and abandon? Uh, well, the, the freight yeah. came into us on rail. Mm-hmm. Okay. I worked for a company that was affiliated with a short line yeah. railroad company. And wherever we had a railroad set up, we had a an entity called Railroad Distribution Services set up to help generate traffic to the local railroad. Wow. And so that's it in a nutshell. It's kind of one of the places I operated was in uh, Eastern Connecticut was the largest uh, single wholesale or forest products transload facility in the Northeast United States. It was over yeah. a mile long. Wow. So is this how you began to get interested in rail trail development and see the potential for this was because you worked in that industry? And like, how did that well, happen for you? Like when, when, when did the is, light go off? <laughs> this is like my, I'm, I'm sort of like Forrest Gump. I've been, what was he famed? He was famous for being a witness to iconic events. Yeah. And I've been a witness to iconic events and how it all started. One of my customers, when I was running transloads for the railroad was a guy who used to take obsolete topographic maps. Then they were stacked on pallets and they would come into our facility. We'd unload the rail cars of them. And stack them. And he'd send them out as needed to uh, local paper converters to make them into stationary. Geolopes, topolopes, you've probably seen these things. And he was in my office. It was in the Feb- February of 1994. And he picked up a book I had on my desk called The Lost Railroads of New England. Wow. And he said, you know, they're, they're converting a lot of these old rail lines into bike and hike trails. He said, rail trails. I said, yeah, I'm a member of Rails to Trails Conservancy. And he said, so am I. Huh. But 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 they've never written a good book like this. He said, my main line of business is not these obsolete topo maps. My main line is I'm a publisher of outdoor recreational titles and guidebooks. Hmm. And if you were to write a book on the subject or a manuscript on the subject that was heavily detailed history like an odometer-based mileage guide of everything you're going to see along the way in terms of railroad archaeology that's still visible, why the railroad was there, what, on and on and on. He said, I would publish that book. Huh. And so we went out and bought bikes April of, 2000, of 1994, biked every mile of every open rail trail. And the first book came out and was a hit like I never had imagined. There was a guy actually buying it by the case in Eastern Mass, and he'd be giving it away at trailheads. They'd say, you know, these aren't just cute paths in the woods. These are how our community got wealthy and 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 
and it's very important history. And this book tells the history in a great detailed way. Yeah. And so we had to track him down and he actually, um, he was actually, um, well known to rails to trails conservancy. Uh, he was a major donor and he got me an audience with David Burwell, who was the founder of rails to trails at his mother's house next to the rail trail on Cape Cod on, uh, uh woods hole. And after a five-hour job interview, they hired me. That was in, let me think, that was probably 1997. Wow. And, and so I worked for the railroad for full-time and yet part-time for Rails to Trails. And I was trained to think big, high-altitude thinker. Nothing happens quickly. Nothing stays the same. Vent bad policy, you can make a difference. And I would parachute into all the wars. And yeah. there were there were several wars. I'm the battle hardened veteran of every rail trail war within mm-hmm. within 150 miles of here. Yeah, you, you and you mentioned this. We had a we had a brief phone call um, prior to this conversation. You mentioned the rail trail wars, and I'm curious if you could just kind of take us back to this. And I was I'm baffled because I see obviously sitting here in 2022 the benefits of something like a rail trail, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Like I was telling you, um, and Jen, um, I, I recently had a really pleasant experience on one. I was out in Lowell for a thing, like for the day, Lowell, Massachusetts, and I was looking for stuff to do, and I was Googling trails, and I found that they had like a 22-mile section of rail trail out there. Um, and so I decided to go for a walk, and... I did about a seven mile walk that day, kind of round trip. It took me through all these like delightful communities. I had no idea existed out that way. And it was just like such a pleasant way to spend a day. And, um, and you know, I'm kind of like hearing you talk, like recognizing I was, you know, walking on the, the backs of a lot of hard work and which leads me to my question, like, it's amazing to me that people resisted this or there were wars um, about rail trails or between, maybe it was a between rail trail developers. Talk to us a little bit more about that. Mm -hmm. Well, when I was doing the research for my books, we'd go out literally every single weekend. Um, When I was, the first book came out, it was done in 1995 and it was such a hit, they put me under contract to do another book about New York and yet another one about New Jersey. The New Jersey book took me 30, uh, was three years of my life, 30 months on weekends going down to New Jersey, where I'd get up at 4 a.m. on a Saturday, drive down there, bike out the trail, do some research, and come back the same night. And there was a day trip on Saturdays. Um, the, the, the book in New York took me five years to do. And here I am sometimes going to New York, sometimes going to New Jersey, always having the grandest time of my life. It was almost as if I was like possessed to go <laughs> to all these places that were so astoundingly beautiful. And the longer the trail was in the ground, the more, the better the community was. If the trail was freshly built, the town would would sometimes have blight or there would be not as best as it could be. And, and it's just sort of imprinted on me that 
that nothing stays the same. And, it, and if a trail, if you have a dead railroad in your community, is largely going to be going down. Until you build the trail, it's going to come up. Well, the there was a place uh, near us here. It was in Southampton. Uh, it's actually a railroad corridor that we owned. The railroad company I worked for owned the corridor, and they wanted to sell it to the community. And there was some pushback, and I couldn't believe it because at that time I had been on probably I don't know 60, 70 trails, and in, in a detailed way, not just marching out the miles. No, I was very detailed in terms of what I was looking for and was looking at. And so I, I had to go to the public meeting and uh, and I watched how they it was the last one and they actually voted it down. I was simply mm -hmm. astounded. And, and up until that time, we're about probably three years into this journey, the publisher and the editor were suggesting to me, I should do a slide lecture series based on the pictures of the book. And I have a pretty big collection of then as a railroad and now right. as a rail trail sort of sort of like historical narratives and and I said oh I can't do that I'm not I'm not comfortable speaking in public but the, after I watched it get voted down in Southampton and on my way out the door I told the lead opponent opponent that that he would live to see the trail get built because <laughs> <laughs> that was a seminal moment to me yeah and, and so uh, that was in 96 and what happened then is I, I started speaking on the subject, not, not need at first. The first lecture I had was before, before one person in the Hatfield town library. And, you know, here we are now, I've given well over, I lost count over 1200 lectures and in 21 States. And, and so this is what I do. I'm very inspirational speaker on this. And I, what I, my my mission was to inspire locals how to talk compellingly about mm -hmm. the subject because it's very important for these to get built and they don't get built because there's a top-down driven conversation right i don't know if if you really pay attention to yeah. how things work you will see that in massachusetts there is more there are more land trusts here than anywhere else in the united states except for california and California being 20 times larger uh, would sort of be understandable. But why is it, you see, I don't want to name the national names because I'm sure they'll get mad at me if I say this, but why is it you don't see them around here? You don't see the big national names here. You see local land trusts like Kestrel, mm -hmm. right. Clawbin Land Trust. You see Mount Grace Land Trust. Why is that? Well, how did this movement start in the United States? You can't connect the dots by looking forward, only by looking back. The first land trust in the United States was the trustees of reservations. Wow. They got started to cajole, cajole, convince, and twist the arms of the state government to create state parks. So this and is very did. much a this is very much a people's movement. That's right. Yeah. And so what I do is train locals how to do this. And I actually teach land trusts how to break out of the rectangular mode and think into the linear mode or even beyond. Mm. For example, they, as I mentioned, there are more land trusts here than anywhere else in the United States. For such a small state, it's astounding. And it's the local conversation that succeeds. You're not going to have big national nonprofits 
geared towards land preservation come and have a successful conversation here. In most places, that will not work. However, in the case of East Quab and Land Trust, they're a very special land trust. They're a linear thinking land trust and a third place thinking land trust. Now, I'll talk about the linear park thinking first. They, uh, in their midst, sits the longest dead railroad in the Northeast United States, from Boston to Northampton, huh. passing through their entire service area of Hardwick or Barry, Hardwick, New Braintree, uh, Ware. Mm-hmm. You know, these yeah. are all parts of the Mass Central Rail Trail. In 2005, there was a, a sale. You, as a citizen of the Commonwealth, can buy dead railroad corridor should you decide to do so. And the state will invariably not block the sale. And I can send you the connecting the dots infographic on how this all came to be. Yeah. But nonetheless, there was a sale of about 300 feet in Hardwick, where a school principal from a local high school was going to buy corridor behind his house to block the sale of land behind the house in Hardwick to block the way for kids to bike this or walk to school. And so that sale went through. And then I went in and bought the rest of everything. That was 3.2 miles in Hardwick, in New Braintree. And I gave the local land trust, the linear thinking East Quab and Land Trust, two years to buy me out. And they did. In the meantime, I met all my new neighbors who were not happy about the idea. But I owned it. I owned three bridges. And I wow. said, I don't want any damage to my bridges. One was the last of its type still standing in New England. And the land trust bought me out. They then uh, fixed up the corridor. They repaired all the bridges, made them safe for families to cross. And the, tr- the trail is completely open now. Wow. And, and, and so I teach other land trusts to do that in Belchertown after the war in Belchertown. <laughs> Sorry. There was, a, there, was, there, there was a... There was a land trust that was formed because the the traditional land trust didn't want to participate in the reassembling of the dead railroad in Belchertown. So the Belchertown land trust was formed and they started buying corridor where they could, when they could, not all under one fell swoop. Nobody was crushed, had their land stolen from them. It was all willing sales. And so now the town of Belchertown, I think, has about almost seven miles of the nine and a half miles mm-hmm. that is owned by the community. It was donated to the town. There's at least six other land trusts that are doing this work within 100 miles of us. This is how things get done in the 21st century. Yeah, and I just want to mention real quick, um, Craig, I just want to mention to people, I'm going to have in the show notes for the podcast links to some of the materials um, that mm-hmm. you're talking about. Um, there's this infographic um, for the Mass Rail Trail that kind of shows what um, I think path, Craig is talking yeah. about, the mm-hmm. path. Yeah. And then there's this. Uh, there's a page attached to that that has some um timeline yeah year by year narrative descriptions Mm -hmm. of some of these key events that have happened along the time so i just want to let people know at any time that you want to you know just give the podcast a pause go check out some of these materials and um they're really fascinating um to look at and they really helped 
kind of center me around some of this and understand it a little bit better. Right. Yeah. It's very complicated. It's not, it's not easy. And that's why it takes so long. If it was easy, it'd mm-hmm. all be done. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's very complicated, very scary. And so the other thing that some land trusts do that's very innovative is the third place. The, the first place in your family is first place in your life is your family. The second place is your workplace. The third place, which is typically lacking in the United States today, it's the third place where you meet people outside of the first two places. And in many suburban places, it's hard to, uh, it, it's hard to experience a third place. We, we lived in Agawam for 12 years, grew up in Holyoke, one of the original gateway cities. Yeah. But when we got married, we moved to Agawam. And Agawam's got a few claims to fame, and it ties into this concept of third place. It is the lowest zip code in the United States. That's not a third place thing, but but it's the but it has it's the only city that has no downtown. Huh. Agawam is a city that has no downtown. No Imagine kidding. that. How how shocking is that? And what does that do psychologically and, to a community? Well, it it it's it suburbanizes them. Mm. And suburbanization has been typically a failed experiment here in the United States. And what happens is you, you're tired from your day at work. You come home, push the button, the garage door goes up, goes down behind you. You have your big lawn to mow all weekend and take care of everything. But you don't have, you don't have a place typically where, where, uh, where there are sidewalks, porches, grid pattern streets. It's a lot of cul-de-sacs or curvy streets without sidewalks geared for cars and single use zoning has sort of drawn everything to be, you must get in your car to yeah. go someplace. Right. And, and so when I, when I lived in Agawam, we thought that was sort of normal, but it is, you know, if you, I don't know if you've ever heard of this website called walk score, Yes, yeah. I was on it the other on, the, on it the other week. The town I live in, Belchertown, has a zero. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, there's, it's well, Belchertown was a fast growing place in the seventies, eighties, and sort of into the nineties. Yeah, but it's um, the single use zoning. The rail trail will bring a third place aspect to your community. Walk score is a is a way where you know in a balanced market. We're not in a balanced market right now. We're in a seller's market. So many buyers are looking to buy that they'll overlook this concept of walk score because they really need to buy a house. But walk score is how they typically in a balanced market will look for their new neighborhood. They know their walk score where they live now. And if you go to that website, and you plug in the search panel, any address in the United States, and it will show up um, with a, on a Google map and then populate in all things nearby that are worth walking to. Whether from my context here of my office in Florence, that's Pie Bar, two doors away, mm. this Florence Diner, you know, a block yeah. away, banks here, <laughs> sidewalks, other things, the bike path nearby. Mm-hmm. And so all those things sort of tick up on the walk score. So the higher the number, the more walkable the community is to, to things that are worth walking to nearby. And so Agawam has the lowest average walk score in the state tied with Franklin uh, out on I-495. And, and so it's, it's been a kind of an eye-awakening journey to me. Um, I worked for Rails to Trails for seven years, developing policy. In fact, uh, uh, I know 
most of the folks in in Belchertown who were opposed to the idea way back when. And one of the reasons was there was a big equestrian component here in uh, in Belchertown that really liked the soft surface trail as it is. It was just it was being used and equestrians were using it a lot. And and so they were very much opposed because Massachusetts, believe it or not, up until about 2005, I'll guess and say. But for the early years when most of the wars took place, Massachusetts was the outlier. If you were going to build a rail trail, it had to be paved. No ifs, ands, buts, or maybes. It was going to be paved. That's every other state in the United States. You can do a soft surface trail. It's not a mushy, sandy, muddy, junky trail, but it's a soft surface trail that takes water in, and it's a much easier place for horses or runners, and it's it makes sense. But Massachusetts said that you had to pave. So job number one, when I got to work at Rails to Trails, was to take the Office and Disabilities and the Architectural Review Board staffers in wheelchairs, along with a lead investigator for the State Post Audit and Oversight Committee, which looks at rules and regs and fixes ones that are broken, like this was. And we took them to a section of the Mass Central Rail Trail back in 96, I believe, 97. To um, in in West Boylston, that was built by a group called Wachusa Greenways, that are building out the 30 mile section in the center of the state of this Mass Central Rail Trail. And we went on the trail. They all liked it. I have pictures of them. They then the letter was sent to DOT. DOT said they couldn't just change the rules. They had to rewrite their entire design guidebook. Oh, man. Took them two years. Oh, my God. And 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 it got written. So was and this was a chapter? Of, this was not a paved section, I'm assuming. This was what you're talking about, the soft. Yes, it was um, a stone dust trail. Got it. Okay. And and most of the Mass Central Rail Trail will be soft surface, including what's being built in Belchertown, unless the town decides otherwise. Mm-hmm. But I would expect... If I'm going to rural or suburban places, I believe most of them are going to be loving the idea of a soft surface trail because they didn't move to the rural area to have their woods paved. Right. At least that was the argument that was told to me by the lead opponents in Belchertown 25 years ago. And is it acceptable and okay to, in its design and intended use, to think about sharing a rail trail with horses and bikes and people like it, it is it intended to be mixed use in that sense yes in fact there are several books written on the subject and the, the, the technical name for these the the dot jargon would be sup shared use pathways okay and in fact in fact if you go to the Nawadic network website which is um uh, thewaticnetwork.org and click on RFP, you'll see that we just released an RFP and it's a four pager, but the really interesting feature at this moment, what we're talking about is an infographic that shows that the Mass Central Rail Trail at 100 miles long from Boston to Northampton intersects with 17 other rail trails. Wow. Now, about half of those, half of the 17 is equal nine, are 
are, are bikeways. There are shared use paths that are bikes and peds. Some of them are paved. Some of them are soft surface now, and they're open to horses, some of them. Some of them are more hiking-only type trails. And so those would be... There's a, there's a funding source that operates inside the state government um, managed by uh, DCR, State Parks Agency. It's a pot of money that comes from um, gas taxes paid by recreational users. That would be snowmobiles, dirt bikes, ATVs, yeah. side-by-sides. Those recreational users, gasoline comes into a pot of money that comes back to the state. And that's the monies accrued for that pot of money each year um, are reviewed by a panel called MARTAB, M-A-R-T-A-B, Massachusetts Rec Trail Advisory Board. I think it's like 15 members. I served on it for about 10 years. And, and there is a representative for each user group, the Greenway group, the bicycle group, the uh, snowmobile, the Jeeps, the ATVs, the dirt bikes, the hikers. There's a blue trail person by kayaking. And so these all have a voice in the approval of grant requests sent in to DCR. Okay. This, this committee looks at things in three ways. Your, your project has to fit in one of three holes. One, one column would be for non-motorized. Another column would be for motorized. Could be a snowmobile trail. The snowmobile group here in uh, this part of Massachusetts um, has been maintaining the dead railroad for snowmobile use for two generations. Yeah. yeah. Yes, they're doing great work. Larry Tucker is a great friend of mine, and he is on the Belchertown Greenway group here. And he is uh, he's on that MARTAB committee as well. And if you have a motorized project, your project can take 30% of the overall funds. Motorized, 30%. Non-motorized, 30%. And 40% are for combination trails. Okay. So this presents up to, I think this year they've raised it to $500,000 per project in a given community. There's several million dollars, but most of them are pretty small. But it is a good pot of money, and what it does, it creates actual functioning, good things that people love and people take care of because there's a public uh, group, like a friends group attached to all these projects. Mm -hmm. And so this is something that, uh, that is helping to develop trails. When, when Charlie Baker came in, in uh, I think it was in 2017, he actually did something very notable in, in Massachusetts. It's very hard to do anything as you probably know, especially in the trail world. There's so many silos, different agencies that really didn't talk to each other, but now they do. He ordered them to meet every two weeks in his suite of offices inside the state house. And they meet inside his offices. So they don't have some kind of turf war going on between agencies. Right. That's a good they, idea. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is a good idea. And that worked. They took down the silos and they work collaboratively together because they know, they know that what we have to build here 
is, is very slow, painful, methodical, but the end result will be the densest network of dead steam railroad conversions in North America. It'll be more like Europe than you can imagine. Mm. I think and that's, a, I hear that. I think that's a great thing. I'm so excited when right? I hear it's this. Really, really. And Craig, you talked to us a little bit about the idea of third place, like as a benefit of these rail trails. How, how else do communities benefit from having these trails, um, you know, go through their communities? Um, I'm really curious to hear a little bit more about that. Okay. Well, the third place that was, that was in a book that was largely about Keene, New Hampshire. And the concept of third place means that we're sort of lacking in the United States is the third place. It used to be the Elks Club, the neighborhood tavern, lots of times the church or, or the Boy Scouts or you know, the third place where you meet people outside of work or outside of the family. And this rail trail stuff is really the third place. In, in 2017, when Governor Charlie Baker created the trails team by taking down the silos, he wasn't really doing that on his own. He, he saw what was happening in New York because a couple of years before that, there was a, a report done about one trail in New York that, that was so astounding to the governor of New York. He commanded DOT to build 400 miles of these trails in four years. Oh, wow. That's come. That's completely off the charts from our experience here yeah. as how painful and slow it is here. Well, what happened in New York, the Erie Canal Trail was shown to be, was producing back back eight years ago, $250 million a year to the state. What? And and it wasn't that just people are opening up their mile while it's by, and it's the, it's the specialized economic impact of people coming without their cars, mm -hmm. but with money to spend on on goods and services along the way on long distance mm -hmm. tours. Like that's why it's so important to build out this entire corridor. Yeah, like bike shops now, and restaurants and that those sorts of things have to pop up to support the people, right? right? That's right. And these little forgotten towns, like the report was about the Erie Canal Trail, which the commercial use of the canal went away, but the towpath became a bikeway. And it's so compellingly in terms of economic development of low impact mom and pop shops that are thriving and not ready to fold up in these small towns. Don't forget that that the canal concept was a little bit been more beneficial than a, a railroad. Railroads had to have towns every 20 miles. So in the Midwest or out West, you see genuine towns that were built by the railroads to support the steam locomotive needs for right. punishing fuel. In the canal trail, there were there were towns built every six miles. Oh. Because that's when they had to switch out the mules or oxen that were pulling the canal boats. Oh, right. So they had full yeah. full goods and services. Here in southern New England, the towns are already built with these village center locations that then became suburban and rural. So you have towns every few miles here. What happens when you build a long distance trail, you have small entrepreneurs coming mm -hmm. in to set up and you have a blossoming of local small businesses and, and you better get used to seeing bikes because they're going to be there. 
and, and and traffic slows down. Everything, the life as you remember it, the everything sort of changes, not instantly, but it just changes to be a better, higher quality of life for people. Craig, you're when, giving me chills. <laughs> like you literally are giving me chills. <laughs> this is what I, I do. I inspire people. And we're not even seeing my presentation. I'm just <laughs> winging it here. I mean, but like if somebody who has used the trails, because we have very fortunate that um, we have the Norwatic uh, trail um, that goes from the, I mean, it terminus is right now in Belchertown, but it goes all the way to Northampton. So we use extensively the trail, mm-hmm. but we've seen the, small businesses that have popped up up and around the trails and like you know you can you can use them as like meeting points you know like oh i'm gonna you know i'm gonna go on a bike ride and then you know to downtown northampton and then i'll spend the afternoon and then i'll go back you know or you know the the arcade bar that like pops up you know the coffee shop and the pie bar Mm -hmm. i mean it's all you know, yes. able to access when you're uh, on your bike or walking. And we see we see the benefits of these, right? Because we're active users, right? right. And also um, Stomping Gen here is really involved in uh, community economic development. And, and I'm kind of curious, um, help me see the thinking of some of the opponents, right? Like thinking back to the, you know, to the, to the rail trail wars of the past mm-hmm. or maybe of the, of the present, like, and, and I'm guessing a lot of it is sort of this not in my backyard thinking. Um, but that, that has to arise in my mind from some misconceptions about what rail trails are and what they will do to a community. So I'm just curious if you could just like kind of address, you know, what, what, what people um, might have, Object to like, and how how do we talk to those folks and bring them mm-hmm. over to us? Well, the uh, I've been involved. I'm still involved in three wars in Eastern Mass to this day. Um, the it, the issue is always those, the shotgun blast of reasons why they couldn't or shouldn't build the trail, and the. One of the reasons we bought a house that sits eight feet from the trail and was because of the lecture I remember. It was in uh, just outside of Keene, New Hampshire. It was in April 2001. When I got particularly beaten up, tag teamed with their shotgun blast of reasons why they couldn't or shouldn't build the trail. And it was always about NIMBY issues. Um, People would come break into my house. They'll use the trail as an exit route. The uh, rapers, marauders are coming. Um, my property will be devalued. The And they'd always end up with, besides, you don't live near one. Don't tell us what to do. Right. And so on my way home that night in April of 2001, I stopped and got off the highway zigging and zagging through Florence section of Northampton looking for a house for sale before the internet was robust before I was a realtor even. And, um, I found a house for sale that was right next to the, right next to the trail. And it was totally overgrown, totally run down. We ended up buying it and, uh, home and garden television came to film the renovation of our house. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Cause it was so extreme. 
And, and I was there not by accident. I was there specifically because I was right next to the trail. So then I'd go back into those public pressure meetings and I'd say, I hear your fear, but I live eight feet from one. Right. We love it. And if you're really fearful, I'll give you a week weekend, a weeknight stay, not a weekend. Cause I want you to wake up to the laughter of children biking to school and how many kids bike to, to school in this town. So I'd effectively put the dead enders off to one side. And then the town did actually vote several, several times this worked. I've only had anti stay with me once, but that's okay. You know, I always like to meet people and let them uh, see it, hear it, touch it, feel it, see yeah. it. And, uh, but this is, uh, that's how we ended up there. That's um, amazing. Can I share a, a quick anecdote with you? Um, we have a friend who just purchased a home probably 20 feet from uh, a rail trail section in Amherst, Massachusetts. And he told us, this is fascinating, he discovered a a video monitoring room where this gentleman had set up all of these cameras on the outside of his house, um, pointing up at the rail trail because um, he was so Paranoid. fearful and <laughs> And um, I won't use the word paranoid, but he was so fearful um, that people would come down from the, you know, the trail and invade his backyard. And, you know, just, and it's fascinating to me that um, people could form an idea like that and even act on it to go so far as to build like a, 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 Didn't you have a, a, a panic room? A video, it was like a, a panic room with all of these video <laughs> monitors. And this was this was somebody who um, had this home as a second home. They lived in New York City, and they had money, obviously, to spend on such a thing. But um, it just blows my mind, um, you know, because like like you know, I like, and I hear your I hear your story about you know hearing hearing you know like hearing children and hearing yeah. the light the life of a community. Right. On the rail trail. I know. Right. I so wish we had moved somewhere closer to a rail trail because like I I love it. I love I think the idea of rolling out of bed and chopping on a bike or going for a walk on yeah. a rail trail. It's like a dream. Maybe it's well, a retirement goal. Yeah, for sure. Well, there's there's plenty of houses that are near the rail trail in Belchertown. Oh, there he goes. He's putting his realtor hat on. <laughs> yes. yes. Um, so I... I I love that though, and I really um, hope that they are able to complete the Central Mass Rail Trail. Um, and Mass how, Central Rail Trail. Uh, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Craig. The Mass Central Rail Trail. Like, and tell so tell us a little bit more ab- about that. Um, you talked a little bit about it. Like, are we far from completion of that trail? Well, here's what's going on right now. We we are that trail is 104 miles long. We have over just over 90 miles in some kind of public protected status right now. What's open right now is a little more than 51 miles. Within two years, we're probably going to be very close to 70 miles open. But after that, it's, it's all the, let's say, all the low hanging fruit, easy to build sections are done. The expensive, harder, more complicated sections are, are lying ahead. Mm-hmm. And, and so 
I used to be a lobbyist and organizer, as I mentioned, and I still have many leaks in the state government. In the last year, well, it was in 2020, the, the DOT commissioned a feasibility study. We know that the whole western end is all built. We know that the eastern end is all built or soon to be built or the construction funding's in place is waiting to be built. The middle section from 495 out to the west side of Belchertown, it's about 58 miles. 30 miles of that's open right now. There's about 30 miles that is unknown ownership, complicated, washed away. Some of it's still operating as a railroad. Some is owned by the utilities. Some is owned by antis. And so there's, there's complicated sections left. And so DOT has said, we need a report that shows what this thing would be if, if it was done. Mm. A, a finished trail. So for the, this past winter, I've been working on it and editing it and getting feedback from other uh, trail groups, especially in New York, who have done reports like this that show to DOT, here, this is going to give you courage to do this. Um, it, it's very, it, it's going to be worth a lot of money. In the, in the case of New York, they showed that $250 million on just one trail. Um, and so we just let out the RFP it was this past Monday, excuse me, Tuesday. And so if you go to the Nuotic Network site and click on the RFP, you'll see the RFP. It's gone out to uh, um, engineering consulting firms all over the Northeast. We think we're going to choose one by the end of June, by the end of July at our big conference at Go to GS2022, stands for Golden Spike 2022, mm -hmm. GS2022.org. You're going to see the, uh, the upcoming conference. We expect to have the consultant named at that conference. This We, we have funding in place mm -hmm. uh, through Nautic Network to, to pay for the consultant to do this. This, this will be the biggest thing ever in new england mm -hmm. this trail is 100 miles long it connects directly with at northampton the longest interstate trail it goes from northampton to new haven mm -hmm. that'll be done in about three more years and and so this is this is going to be big and yeah. there's a lot of places that can use the shot in the arm for the economic development that's bring to village centers like downtown gilbertville yeah downtown Ware, downtown yeah. bondsville not that we have a downtown, but Belcherdown. <laughs> yes, it goes right past there, right where the old Central Vermont Railroad yeah. transloading facility is. Yeah, you have a place that that's going to be uh, a highly attractive place for locals and visitors. Yeah, visitors without their cars. Yeah, for sure. Oh God, that's such a dream state. I know for uh, for us, I like so. Does I would love to see that. Yeah. Yeah. How can folks get involved? Like, how do we make this a reality? Like, so it sounds like you have um, the Norawatic Network and do you have like, yeah. donations, volunteer opportunities? Like, how well, do people help? The Norawatic Network was started during the, uh, the Clinton administration as they approached the millennial. And I'll tell you a little story how this thing came to be. Uh, the Federal Highway Administration uh, 
didn't order, but they suggested, which is akin to an order, that all states shall uh, have a contest for their trails, and they're going to pick one that exemplifies that state's high values and whatnot for the best trail in the state. In Massachusetts, there were two entries. One was uh, the Bay Circuit Trail, which is in Eastern Mass, a hiking trail. And the other one was the Nowatic Network, was, which, was, which is, wasn't a defined thing like the Bay Circuit Trail. That has been around since the 1930s. But the Net Nowatic Network ended up winning because of some inside politics, hardball politics, inside uh, the Transportation Secretariat that didn't allow the Bay Circuit Trail to win. So when the winner was announced as Nowatic Network, the, the lead woman there, uh, Barbara Francis, very elderly now, but nonetheless, she called me and she said, Craig, we won. What do we do next? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, well, we've got to form a 501c3. You've got mm -hmm. to be able to accept the gift from American Express, and they got to have a way to get a tax benefit for themselves. And so we'll create a 501c3. We'll have a board. You're going to do your little betterments and things around the edges. And, and um uh, and, and so that's what happened. It was formed. And the most notable thing that the Nowatic Network did were two things. One of the other board members was Arthur Swift. He was the original guy who advocated and helped get DCR to have courage to assemble the corridor known as the Nowatic Trail today. Mm -hmm. It was not easy in Hadley. There was a lot of opposition. But Art Swift, when he passed away, they built the trail that connect that Snell Street all the way to the university. And it's now known as the Swift Way. Mm -hmm. Okay, so some of the money went to that. And then some of the money went to the beautiful mural in downtown East Hampton. I don't know if you've ever seen that. There's a beautiful mural, 100 feet long. That was, uh, it, it shows fun, fan, fancy things happening in East Hampton. And the thing has been there for probably 15 years now, mm -hmm. never been, never been defaced. It's beautiful. And so, uh, two years ago, they called me and said they were wanted to retire. They were done. And, I, and they said they wanted to turn in the 501c3. I said, no, don't you dare. And, and so what we did was I expanded the board. I came on as the unpaid executive director of Nowatic network. And we've now repopulated the board to be along the hundred mile trail, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not just in Western Mass. Oh, that's smart. But that's right. I'm a high altitude <laughs> guy. <laughs> and so, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to do historic callouts on this trail. We're going to have the longest trail of QR codes in North America. Sweet. With Paul calling out industrial history, railroad history, Very community smart. history on the whole court. But we also let out an RFP. We just got funding in place to do this, to have you know, very high profile companies are reviewing this and mm -hmm. bid for this. This is what we need to do. We need to prove to the state that it is valuable enough to do. And there's lots of money now coming in as post-pandemic uh, yep. infrastructure improved. And this is infrastructure. Yep. Right. And it's use, right. it's recreational use and economic op right. opportunity. It all... Yeah, there's perfect fit. There's five giant bridges missing. Mm. There's a thousand foot tunnel on this line that most people of the 21st century have no idea about. Really? Where is that? 
that's in Clinton. Oh, wow. it over it overlooks the Wachusett Reservoir. Wow. And Clinton is, I think, did I read something recently in the last few months? They're going through kind of a revival. They're all anywhere that are yes, <laughs> rail trail. Everywhere there's a, a rail trail coming. Yeah. And they have a village center. Mm-hmm. The village center is the is the neighborhood of the past. Mm-hmm. Becoming the neighborhood of the future. Yeah, I, I think I was part of a, um, a Massachusetts Municipal Association meeting where the, um, a gentleman, the economic development director from Clinton, was saying, "You get a rail trail and a brewery, and you're like all set." Yeah, and That's one of right. one of the things I absolutely love about some of the the historical information you provide on the uh, Norwatic um, uh, website, the Norwatic Network website. And reading through the PDF is like, I think a lot of us take for granted the amount of work mm-hmm. and uh, funding. Uh, yeah, the the, the amount of work resources. that has to go into creating these, yes. these rail trails. Like, it didn't just happen overnight. Like, you know, as somebody who... who I probably walk on the the Hadley and Amherst sections of the the, the rail trail. trail here, you know, four times a week, right? And it's just like I take it for granted, right? And that's what I love, and that's what I love, you know, about what you're doing, Craig. Is you're you're helping you're helping people see how these things came to be, in addition to you know trying to show them the benefits of doing this, right? Well, getting back to the antis, talking about why people are opposed, you know, the, the equestrians became opponents in Belchertown and in other suburban communities. They were opponents because they didn't like the idea of paving. So we took away that reason to oppose the trail because if we, when the when the design guidebook was written, it was written specifically so that people in these communities that wanted a soft surface trail could have that or have a soft shoulder alongside mm-hmm. where the horses might want to go to come from one sort of like woodsy trail and then use the rail trail as a connector to get to another woodsy trail and have a side path that can accommodate the horses. And, and so that collaborative effort means that it takes away, you don't have to get everybody on board. You merely have to get a plurality, mm-hmm. and that's what I strive for. The in Sudbury this past winter, uh, you'll notice in that infographic there were two cases where one was a, a case that went before the Supreme Judicial Court in Massachusetts. There was a, a group that uh, banded together to fight not a not just the East West Trail that I'm working on here, but the North South Trail. Mm-hmm. And the North-South Trail is the one you probably were walking on near Lowell, the going through Chelmsford. Yes. That, that if you go to their website, that I'm a, that's one of my projects. I got that off the ground at a lecture I had in a, in a house in uh, Concord, Massachusetts in 2002. We built the Friends Group there. And what happened in, uh, in there, one of my... Rail trail friends, he was retiring, and he he made it a commitment to find every rail trail study or report about the effects of a rail trail on adjoining property values. So if you go to the BruceFreemanRailTrail.org website and click on reports or studies, you will see the web's best compendium of that. 
And one of them is actually mine, where I uh, did a report for the Massachusetts MLS that showed that houses that live that site next to the trail or near the trail are touted as such in the listing sheet. They sold uh, at a better proportion of the list price than those in the general community. And they sold at a third the time on the market mm-hmm. than those in the general community. And, but that's just one little snippet of probably 25 reports on there. But there's, they're all dated because, yeah. you know, you mentioned you can't believe people are opposed. I meet people all every day who they ask, oh, what did you do in your life, Craig? Well, I've been involved in all the rail to trail development and helping get communities to yes. I don't care what they build. Right. I don't care how I'll take all I get to is yes. <laughs> They're at yes. Yeah. And, I, and I've resurrected everyone that was voted down, mm. including Belchertown, Southampton, yeah. Williamsburg, Weston, Danvers. Those old places. I remember. I'm from Danvers, and I, re, I remember back in the late 80s and 90s, when early 90s. Yep. I left in 92, but um, when this was a huge controversy. Yes, uh, it was. Then. It was huge. Like you, they were probably right. part of the wars, right? Right, and I'll I'll never forget that. And in Peabody, where the local bike group came in and said, you know, we're the bikers. They came in spandex-clad biking <laughs> suits, and that was not a recipe for success for the general public who are not spandex-clad bicyclists. And so they were they never they never got to yes until they built a friends group that talked inclusively rather than being just you know big high speed bicyclist yeah and craig before before it was a trail my uh, brother and i used to walk on those railroad tracks from danvers up um to there was an audubon society in ipswich we used to walk though that 10 miles down there on the abandoned railroad tracks like you know so like people they're so, already being used the, yes. for that function. Thank you, Stomping it's just Jen. Yes, formalizing that process. Pe- that people felt a need for this. It right. was a, this, it, what I love about what you're doing. Like you said, you met in somebody's house and conquered. Like this is a grassroots. Like you said at the oh, beginning, yes. it's a grassroots. It has to be a grassroots, bottoms up thing in some in some ways in order to get That's the right. community to yes. Yeah, it's I lo- absolutely truly. You know, the MBTA bought, you mentioned all these little communities in Eastern Mass with these dead railroads behind them. The MBTA, in four transactions, bought Corridor in a year in 73 communities. 53 of those are places that had dead railroads in them. Mm -hmm. And here we are 45 years, 50 years later. Most of them are still like that, although I shouldn't say most of them because a lot of them are under development now as a trail. But that was that happened. You like that conquered in the house conversation? How about this? At a restaurant at Beacon Hill, I'm talking with the private, the head of the privatized real estate department of the MBTA, and he wants to sell these corridors to the communities. I said, What do we need to buy them twice for? We, the citizens of the Commonwealth, paid for them in the 1970s yeah. when you bought them from the MBT, uh, from the Boston and Main Railroad. You haven't done anything with them for over 40 years. Why do we need to buy them twice? Let's make them free. He said, if we do that, they can't come back to us about any brownfield issues. I said, your wish is my command, <laughs> and we're not going to ask about any 
brownfield issues. God damn. And that's how it came to be. That's amazing. That, that's another one of my Forrest Gump. <laughs> <laughs> Craig, uh, I mean, the the amount of tenacity that I'm sensing is needed, uh, has been needed over the years to move all of this forward is astounding. And like, what sustains you? What keeps you doing this work? Um, well, I think it goes back to when I was in the second grade and my, our teacher said we were learning about the American revolution and talking about Lexington and Concord and the, the rebels and the, she called them the, the loyalists. I said, Oh no, they were called Tories. She says, no, they weren't. I said, yes, I'm right. And she said, no. And I made my parents take us out to Lexington and Concord to go to the National Park Service unit operating there so I can get a book about it and learn the truth. And, and yes, they were, they were called Tories. <laughs> and so here we are when, after I finished my first book and I'm continuing on, I can feel, and I, and I went to a lecture where, I don't know if you can see this, Columbia Land Conservancy, my vest. Yep. That's a that's a land trust, a linear thinking land trust, just over the border in New York from the Berkshires. It was in 1996. I went to a lecture with Ed McMahon, not Johnny Carson's Ed McMahon, <laughs> but the the guy that was one of the principals at the uh, the the Conservation Fund, which was a land trust, and he was talking about the Greenway movement in the United States and how this was going to be iconic. And it was right at that moment I needed to have reinforcement if I was going to leave the railroad and come on this crazy journey here. And, and then at the same time, I was involved in a war in a neighboring community. And one of the principal antis said to me, you're my enemy. What? I said, oh, yeah, I've been accosted three times doing this work. And I had a lawyer threatening to destroy the quality of my life if I continued to go in and teach locals how to resurrect a project that was voted down 10 years earlier. But this woman who called me her enemy, I said, no, I'm not your enemy. I'm only your exorcist. <laughs> oh, no. I love that. <laughs> um, so, over the years, let me ask this question. Um, how has doing this work changed you as a person? Well, it's, it's made me uh, much more patient. You know, the fastest rail trail were built in the state was six years. Typically, they're over 20. Wow. They're, they're generational efforts. And and I'm, I'm very patient, and I'm methodical, and I'm detailed, and I have take the high-altitude long-term yeah. view of things and i know that you don't have to get everybody on board but you get plurality yeah and and in my real estate practice i'm very high profile i was i flunked out of speech class in high school <laughs> i was too shy my brother on the complete opposite he was a the state debating champion and i'm going to be like my big brother so i joined the speech club and i flunked out Oh, so one of my other Forrest Gump moments was I helped commute. I helped communities get to the, past the CPA, mm -hmm. including yeah. Northampton and Holyoke. And in the Holyoke effort, my old speech class teacher was there, and I was I was 
introducing all the speakers we had set up for these events there. And I said, Peter, I remember flunking out of your class. Here I am now. I've given 1,200 lectures in 21 states. And think of all, I mean, think of all of the positive impact you've made on people's oh. lives. Oh, right? my God. I'm writing a memoir. You know, the, oh, I can't wait to I've, read I've, that. I, it's going to be multiple volumes. Yeah. It's, um, I was on a national enemies list for a while. There's actually most of the sophisticated antis, they don't just pop out of the woodwork. There's actually a, a working group that teaches them how to kill off or attempt to kill off rail to trail projects. Oh, wow. That's sort of like, this is sort of a nineties thing. And it was when the internet was, was uh, primitive. Uh, but that'll be part of my memoir, but there it's a group called NARPO national Asso- national associations of reversionary property owners. And the principal guy, there's very elderly. He's, he's not, he might've even passed away. That was um, their arguments were what helped uh, vote down some trail projects here in southern New England. And still to this day in, in uh, Sudbury, where the group there is, is, is about, they have to fold up now because uh, I, can, I can send you a lot more information if you like me to email stuff for you. I have yeah. a newsletter, an e-newsletter that goes out to between twelve and 15,000 people. That, that's part of that unusual thing that happened in 2017 when governor Cuomo commissioned DOT to build all those trails in 2017, I got a call from three advocates on three different rail trail wars in Eastern mass. I was involved in, but they were getting ready to burn out. They were melting down. They wanted to quit. And I said, no, I'll set up an e-newsletter. There's so much going on. The newspapers are balkanized. You don't know what's going on two towns away. And so I hired an assistant. We, we do a Google search every day. The newsletter comes out basically monthly. It's always free. Nothing I do in this realm is I charge because it drives them crazier. The antis that right. they think I was in it for the money. And no, I'm only in it for the fun <laughs> to make you lose. This yeah. is where I do. Yeah. And so, and also in 2017 is when governor Baker created the trails team. So that's five years ago. This is when everything started to take hold here. Yeah. Where all these things come together. Yeah. I get your newsletter. I get your e-newsletter. Yeah. And I'm just, sorry, I'm reflecting on the acronym NARPO. I couldn't pick NARPO. a more evil sounding NARPO. name. But <laughs> yeah. Um, well, this is amazing. Um, and I want to tell people, I'm going to put a link Um Again, I want to remind people, I'm going to have links to um, all, the all of all of the stuff Craig has talked about in our show notes. So that's all going to be there. You can yep. go look this stuff up and um, you can connect with Craig there and you can support. You uh, can sign up for an e-newsletter and read about all the yeah, stuff that's happening. All It's not even just in Massachusetts. It, it expands the whole region, yeah. the whole Northeast, right? You have stuff for like Vermont and Connecticut right. and New York. It's broken down into three concepts. One is the, the, the green area is about the Mass Central Rail Trail. Right. So stories that people never heard of and sort of inspires people. The white area is about general trails, and the orange area is just a couple of stories that are high altitude, maybe from Europe, but yeah. it's uh, it's broken down into yeah. three, three sections. I have a full archive at uh, 
MassCentralRailTrail.org. Um, one yeah. thing you can do, and that's why I was really eager to come to you guys tonight, because you're in Belchertown, mm -hmm. and there's the Friends of the Belchertown yes. Greenway, and I would love to have them become more active in town, yes. have a younger element to do trail walks, to have uh, maybe some botanists or mm -hmm. uh, entomologists come and talk about the bugs and the birds and the flowers on the trail. Yep. And and I would love to see that thing take off. Yes. Because it needs to be bigger than it is right now. Yeah. In fact, I learned that we had a, a group here in town from your e-newsletter. Yeah. Yeah. It has all the communities, all the communities on the way. Yes. And, and Pelton Palmer, Bondsville, there's really not much going on there right yeah. now, but the, I don't need to do anything there because it's going to, it's going to happen at its own time. Yeah. And I, it's not yeah. going to be long. Yeah. So, um, Craig, before we roll into our last two questions, um, I just wanted to, to ask you, um, was there anything else you wanted to tell us about what you're working on? Anything we didn't get to? Hmm. Well, we, no, I, and when I have a lecture this coming Thursday, that's a national lecture. It's a webinar hosted by a company out of California, American trails. They are, um, there'll be between 700 and 1500 people on it. Wow. And, and, and I'll give you the code to get in. It's free. Uh, be about an hour and a half, maybe. That'll be one of my official presentations that'll sort of illustrate everything. Do you link to but, the Do you link to the completed presentations on your website somewhere um, or anything like that? No, I, I I typically haven't done that. Although I have been on TV many times, but it's usually okay. at a locality. And you know, the, the the presentations tend to be geared to each specific locality. Yeah, yeah. I don't have a. This one is going to be. Uh, this one will be sort of high altitude. It'll be heavily themed about real estate. And, um, and so I'll, I'll send you the, the sign in link if you'd like to, and you can sign in, but, but you don't have to watch it then it'll be forever up right. and live on their website. So if you want to, yeah, that, that'll, and, yeah that's and, the important thing. Yeah. And unfortunately it, for, for the pe folks listening to this right now, um, it's going to be in June um, of, of 2022 when this, this one releases. So They'll probably yeah, but they'll miss it. Well, the, the, they'll miss the live one. Yeah, but it'll be it'll be living on the American Trails website. So oh, great, awesome, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, that, fantastic, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, send send that to me, and uh, we can uh, put that in the show notes. So, um, one of the things that they have there for me is a uh, they wanted me to send um, images along with links that they're going to have a, a page on that website. That what you're looking for from me for links of fun things or interesting or things, uh, I can send to you tonight or tomorrow too. Sure. So it, it'll be for them, but it, yeah. you can have it too, and you can put it up onto your website. Yeah, fantastic. We'll throw it. We'll throw it in the show notes. Yeah. So if you want to check that out, folks, go ahead. Um, all right, um, Craig. I want to ask you this: um, What do you like to do? What do you like to do for fun uh, when you're not working on rail trail stuff? <laughs> What do you, well, how do you, you know, since how geez, do you, that's a good question. Since last winter, I was, I was, I was herding cats, putting together a lawyer team for an amicus brief at the SJC that took me every waking hour for two months. 
uh, outside of my real estate practice. Now this RFP for another two months here, putting that together. But normally I have this old British sports car. Oh, yeah. An old, an old triumph TR4. I like that. I like going for walks with my lovely bride and my, our little Scottish terrierist. And, uh, <laughs> I ran into you know, one of those um, Scottish terrierists today on my own walk. <laughs> that's Thelma. We have our little Thelma. And, uh, but we have our bed and breakfast. Mm-hmm. We meet guests from all over the United States or beyond. So that's, you know, that's, that's my fun thing. And, and meeting people, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of our guests are like groupies because I'm nationally known in a very obscure way, you know? (laughs) And, uh, and so I have, people have said I'm living their dream life. Mm. And so, you know, it's, I'm, I'm blessed. We don't have any kids nor grandkids and, and all this stuff has happened to me since I was 40 years old and Uh I just turned 70. And so I'm, I'm, I used to say to people, I'm, I'm not old enough to golf. Because yeah. I'm not 70. Now I'm 70, but I still don't feel like I'm old enough to go. <laughs> that's, I mean, I think that's so important for people to hear, including myself, who I often consider washed up and done. You know, like, think about that. Right. All of this amazing shit, pardon my language, that Craig has accomplished, accomplished and all of the, the positivity yeah. he has brought into people's lives yeah. and into, into the world here was accomplished like from 40 on yeah yep that's amazing i'll tell you the first trail i ever rode my bike on um while i was under contract to write that first book was the trail that starts at stop and shop or at least back then it was a short trail now it's much longer stop and shop in northampton up to look park back biking past what became my house and we restored the house Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i was in tears the first half of that trail i i realized how brilliant idea it was yeah and here i was working in the railroad industry i know how to make a railroad work and if it can't be sound to be a it can't be a wasteland in people's backyards mm. it has to be this third place Damn. so i'll never forget that you know i've written five books now today and you know they're they're not tom clancy you know page turners <laughs> But but none of the Hoyok book is in the top ten percent worldwide, mm. and all it is is pictures and captions, pictures of missing buildings, mm. not pictures of dead people. And the other thing is, I've had five people write books that feature me in them as a case study, creative marketing, twenty first century branding, courage to quit a nine to five job courage to take on what is right courage to change your life around in a dime and be successful mm. this is crazy yeah dang did you just Ooh. get goosebumps again i did i did i, I mean know. you just were speaking just, his language right oh, there yeah um, i'm telling you i this is very very important that this is what i do i, I sell houses yes big deal it's yeah. Know, they'll never write on my gravestone, never sold. Houses. Right. I've been in the background of this stuff, and it's very, very important yeah, to and, resuscitate gateway cities. I mean, mm, this is, and I, w- I want to say this, and 
and I want to be very clear, you're not coming across to me in any way as being egotistical or anything like that, but I hope they build a friggin' statue to you on this, <laughs> ma- on this mass, mass central, central rail, trail. rail trail. That's just me saying that. I mean, well, thank you. you know, at some point in the future, I hope somebody takes stock of all of this work you've done. Yeah. And, you know, because I'm sitting here reflecting and it ties back into this concept of the third place. And, you know, we hear a lot about the the detriments of social media and how we're less connected and we need places to be connected in this crazy world. And, you know, these these trails that bridge communities, right. right, and bring people out in physical space together, mm-hmm. you know, in in my mind is is a big part of this answer. So thank you, Craig. Oh, thank uh, you. I mean, really. Um, our last question, and this one's not related to um, uh, the the anything. rail trail or anything really. It's just <laughs> something we ask everybody. We sometimes get very interesting answers. Um, it's uh, what have you experienced in life that you can't explain? And this this could be a supernatural thing. It could be it could be how you got to where you are, even. You know. Well, I I think a lot of what I do is because I don't have any bosses, okay, and and I do what I want to do, and I know because I feel it. And you know, growing up, we used to have seances and chase ghosts. As kids, young teenagers, and and so I know that there are ghosts. In fact, one of the houses I owned was populated by a, a good ghost, not a bad, malevolent ghost. And so I'm not afraid of ghosts, but I have this sort of connection to things that are not easily seen. And it goes back to that thing of you can't connect the dots by looking forward. You have to do it by going back. And I've run into these things that have happened in my life, like I'm a Forrest Gump, I'm Forrest Gump and I'm a witness the iconic events, but you don't really know it at the moment until you see all these disparate pieces and you can see how they all connect together. And then the, it was in um, 1996 when I was invited to, to go to David Burwell's mother's house on Cape Cod and a five hour job interview, they hired me and meeting her not knowing what she did, but the backstory was, and I can show you this, and I can send you this infographic. It'll it'll curl your hair. It's the story of how the trail got built in Woods Hole. If you've never been there, you've got to go there. I have. My brother lived there for a while. I used to visit him there all the time. Yes. Yeah. The, the Fay Road is bisect. You'd have to go under the dead railroad. These low bridges, and there's a string of, you know, big big 5,000 foot 1920 shingle style houses, right? Big high dollar houses. And the railroad closed. Barbara Burwell and her friend decided they were going to make that a walking and biking trail. And it took them two years to get it on the town meeting warrant. And in the meantime, there was a doctor who bought part of the corridor to block the future trail. So the run up to that, they they actually um, they got the town to approve the purchase of the corridor, and they've tried to buy it from the doctor and he wouldn't sell, and so they had to run it. They had to use eminent domain, and he appealed all the way to the SJC in Massachusetts, and that the, the Supreme Judicial Court 
ruled that acquiring a corridor for a municipality for the purpose of this walking and biking trail and to create a parking lot was, was okay. And that was such an iconic moment that, that <clears throat> was the first time in the history of the United States that it had, that happened at the state level. The, there were two things that happened. The state rep, uh, commissioned or proposed and got passed two laws. This took two years to happen. Two laws to protect former railroad corridor from being purchased or, uh, or being built on in Massachusetts. And the other thing was the transportation secretariat back then uh, using eminent domain to purchase from the Boston and Maine Railroad. They purchased it from the railroad and they cleaned out the title using a confirmatory takings model in four transactions in 73 communities, they had no idea whatsoever they were buying those dead railroads. They bought them for a couple of places that were going to put high-speed, low light rail in and do commuter rail in a few places. But for the vast majority, they had no idea, and they never pulled the rails out. And there's literally scores and scores of miles that are sitting there trees growing between the rails that and a couple of other things i want to be short here but i'll send you on the six step infographic how this has created the densest network of steam railroad corridor in north america because two women decided they were going to build a trail and if the if the doctor wouldn't sell they were going to use eminent domain I mean, and, wow. and it's and it is simply unmatched yeah. what has happened here. Wow. And it was, sadly, it's only inside of 495 where they have this dense, dense network. Yeah. All the places in the state outside of 495, like Belchertown, or the vast majority of this corridor I'm reassembling, or other places, there's, they're not owned by the state. Mm. And the, 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 lots of times they were sold off. And so it's it's very hard to reassemble yeah. corridor you have to have a long-term view and i'll talk to you some other time about how i use my real estate practice yeah i'd assemble that corridor yeah, yeah i'd love to have you back we could talk more about this because I, I do i do feel like we're scratching the surface yeah. um craig della penna i want to thank you um i had i had absolutely no idea going into this conversation how interesting it was um how much work you've done over the years on this um you know i just again i really have to say thank you um yeah. and and i i hope this reaches you know thousands of years and people are able to really get an understanding of just how much has gone into these resources we take for granted yeah so thank you thank you thank you um and thanks for talking well, thank to you us. <laughs> thank you for having me yeah it was uh i, I love going to Belchertown to do this you should come to our big conference in July at the Stone Church in downtown Gilbertville. We'll have national speakers there and okay. uh, biking, walking tours of Gilbertville. I where... we, we may take you up on that. I'm about to purchase some field recording equipment now that the, the pande pandemic is over. So maybe we'll take a trip up there and we'll, we'll say yeah. hi to you. So, all right. Um, some things we want to say to our listeners um, as we're wrapping up. Um, 
First, uh, thank you for being listeners. Thank um, you. If you're coming to us for the first time and you hear what you like, do us a favor, subscribe to the podcast um, so you get those episodes in your feed automatically. Download our episodes. Leave us a review. Leave us a review. Share with a friend. I mean, Share with we, a friend. <clears throat> we want people to hear about all of this work um, Craig is doing, so please share. Um, and... Um, and if you can check out the links in the show notes to to all of the resources um, that uh, Craig has talked about, and listen, chip in a few bucks, okay? We all um, in, into the uh, Norwatic uh, network, right? It's a five hundred one c three. It's a nonprofit. Um, yep. Throw a few bucks that way, okay? Help support this work. Um, what else, Stomping Jen? <laughs> think you've covered it all did i cover it all okay we talked to we yeah no we just have to say goodbye yeah we have to say goodbye so um craig do you want to just say goodbye to folks thank you for having me this has been uh most fun i'm, gl- I'm glad to help uh open people's eyes on this subject thank yeah. you great thanks uh stomping jen bye now all right everybody you you heard stomping jen you heard craig it's it's time to say goodbye as much as i want to keep talking i know uh i'm just gonna say it um bye now This world of ours, ever growing smaller, must avoid becoming a community of dreadful fear and hate. Those who have freedom will understand also its heavy responsibility. That all who are insensitive to the needs of others will learn charity and that the sources, scourges of poverty, disease, and ignorance will be made disappear from the earth. And that in the goodness of time, all peoples will come to live together in a peace guaranteed by the binding force of mutual respect and love. I shall never cease to do what little I can to help the world advance along that road. 